We welcome you to the Tabernacle Podcast, brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit our website, tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. You can find other sermons like this one on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. It is our prayer that God has used this message to be an encouragement to your heart. I'd like for you to go with me uh, this evening into the New Testament and uh, find, if you would, in the Gospels, the Gospel according to Luke and the 11th chapter. The Gospel according to Luke and the 11th chapter. We'll begin reading in verse number 1, Luke chapter number 11. The Bible tells us, and it came to pass that is he, that is the Lord Jesus, was praying in a certain place when he ceased. One of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. And he said unto them, when ye pray, say, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so on earth. Give us day by day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And he said unto them, Which of you shall have a friend? And shall go unto him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine in his journey is come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. And he from within shall answer and say, Trouble me not, the door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give thee. I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him, because he is his friend, Yet, because of his importunity, he will rise and give him as many as he needeth. And I say unto you, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For every one that asketh receiveth. And he that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh, it shall be opened. If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he for a fish give him a serpent? Or if he shall ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him. I want you to notice the phrase that we find in the verse number one, when the disciples witnessed the prayer of the Lord Jesus, perhaps hearing it, seeing him as he prayed, as was his pattern, as was his habit, they had perhaps seen him pray many times, moved by his prayers, 
desiring that they too could have that prayer life, they asked the Lord Jesus, teach us to pray. And then we read in verses 2 through 4 what we often call the Lord's Prayer or the model prayer. It is a prayer that the Lord gives us to teach us to pray. And we've identified in this prayer seven reasons that you should pray. And that's what I'm titling this message tonight, Seven Reasons That You Should Pray. A prayer is more than just our duty. Oftentimes we define it as our duty, but it's our privilege. And it should be our way of life as Christians to seek God in prayer. We have a relationship with the Lord. In verse number 5, he describes it that way. He says, which of you shall have a friend and go shall, and shall go unto him at midnight? The Lord Jesus said, you're more than just my servants, you're my friends. We've entered into a relationship with him. And because of our relationship with the Lord Jesus, we have a relationship with his Father who has become our Father. As many as received him to them gave he the power to become the sons of God. So we cry, Abba, Father. We cry unto the Lord, our Father. We have a relationship with the Lord. And we can call upon him with confidence that he hears our prayer and that he desires to answer our prayer. In verse 9, he said, I say unto you, ask and it shall be given you. That's a precious promise, isn't it? The Bible tells us that we have not because we ask not. Often we settle for so much less than what God has provided for us. It's available to us if we would simply ask. And this speaks of our desire. What do we desire? Delight thyself in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. As we delight in the Lord, as we commune with him, as we fellowship with him, as we are conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ, we begin to desire what he desires. And if we ask him, he has promised that if we ask in his name, if we ask in agreement to his will, the word of God tells us that he will hear our prayers. Ask and it shall be given you. Seek and ye shall find. This is discernment. Oftentimes, we, we in our prayer life are trying to discern the will of God. There are delays to our answer, it would seem to us, or there are different answers that come to us than what we would expect. Sometimes it is a, a, a process that is arduous, that is difficult. There are, are, are times when it seems as if no answer is coming. There are times when we don't know what to ask for. So we seek. And as we seek, we shall find knock. Knock. Speaking of persistence. Determination. Desire. Ask. Discernment. Seek. Determination. Knock. And it shall be open unto you. The fact is that 
if something is important to us, we continue to ask. That's true in the lives of our children, right? Mom. 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 Dad. They are pretty good at that, aren't they? They can wear us down, can't they? They can normally get what they want, can they not? Uh, when they're working on their grandparents, they don't have to ask as much. Usually one or two pops, it's over. What do you want? Your mama said you couldn't have it, but don't tell her. All right. They're persistent. They're determined. I think of Hannah when she came uh, to the tabernacle to pray. She was persistent. She was determined. She wanted a son. And God heard her prayers. This is what we are to do. We're to come to the Lord in prayer. It is a privilege to come to the Lord in prayer. And thanks be unto God that it is possible for us to come to the Lord in prayer. It's possible because we come to the Lord into his presence through the veil. The veil that separated the holy place, the most holy place. We can enter in through that veil because it was torn in two. What purchased our access into that place? It was the blood of Jesus that was shed for us. When he died on the cross, the veil was written too, signifying then that we have access to him. We can come boldly into the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. And so we have the privilege to pray And we have the promise that God said, if you ask, if you seek, if you knock, I'll answer your prayer. Verse 10, he sums it up. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. And then he speaks of his character. If a son shall ask bread of any of you, that is a father, will he give him a stone? Your kids are hungry. You're not going to feed them uh, a stone. You're not going to put a stone in their hand. You're going to put bread in their hand. Why? Because you love your children. If he shall ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If he then being evil, sinful, know how to give good gifts. Well, we do know how to give good gifts. Uh, the unredeemed love their children and know how to give good gifts. And how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? So we find here that prayer is more than a duty. It is a privilege. It is, it is something that God has, has, has given us access into his presence with many wonderful promises. And prayer should become, therefore, a way of life. That's the way the New Testament portrays the Christian life, a praying life, a praying life in fellowship and communication with God. In Matthew 26, 41, we're told by the Lord to watch and pray. 
In Luke 18, 1, he tells us that men ought always to pray. That means we ought to be in a state of communion with God, a state of prayer. It doesn't mean that we're on our knees constantly with our eyes closed. But it means that we're in a state of prayer and fellowship with God. That the things of life as they come to us and the decisions uh, that we're faced with and the difficulties and the twists and turns, the good news, the bad news, the questions that come that demand a decision, we have access to God. We're not just simply going it alone. We're looking to God for daily guidance. So men ought always to pray. Romans 12, 12 says that we remain continuing in prayer. Ephesians 6, 18, we're commanded to pray always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Philippians 4, 6 tells us that in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. 1 Thessalonians 5, 17 tells us that we're to pray without ceasing. So we understand that this is an expectation. This is, this is the way of life. And it is a command. It is a duty. But it ought to be a characteristic of the Christian life. So the disciples, hearing the prayer of the Lord Jesus, seek that he would teach them to pray. To teach them how to pray, yes, but to teach them to pray. To teach them to understand their need in prayer. If you ask yourself the question, am I satisfied with my prayer life, how would you answer that? And if your answer is what most of us would typically say is no, then the question becomes why? Why? Why don't we pray? Well, I want to try to help you with that tonight. I want to, I'm praying that God will help me with it. And we find in this model prayer seven reasons that we ought to pray. First of all, we should pray because God is our Heavenly Father. We should pray because God is our Heavenly Father. When you pray, say, Our Father, which art in heaven. Now, you won't find in the Old Testament a prayer that refers to God as the Father. Not as a personal father. But all through the New Testament, the Lord Jesus is introduced in the Gospels, and all throughout the New Testament, we find that God is our Father. We have entered into a relationship with God as our Father. That comes by nature of our identification with the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And because we have believed in Him, John 1.12, we have become the sons of God. We have a Father. He is our Heavenly Father. So we have a relationship to the Father. What do we know about a father and his children? He loves them. He loves them. He said, when you pray, say, Our Father which art in heaven. He is our Father. We've entered into a relationship with Him. He is our Father and He rules in heaven. Our Father which art in heaven. That speaks of His position. That speaks of His power. That speaks of His authority. God has sovereignty and wisdom. So when I pray to the Father, I'm praying to the one who has the wisdom 
to discern my needs. He has the wisdom to know how to answer my prayers. And he loves me because I've entered into a relationship with him. And then we note that not only have we entered into this relationship, and not only is he our Father in heaven who has a rule over the universe, but he has the resources to meet my needs. But my God shall supply all your need according to his what? Riches and glory. So God has the resources to meet my needs. He has blessed me with all spiritual blessings. That's what the Word of God tells me. So I can pray, and I should pray, because I have a Father, and God is my Father. How foolish would I be to try to go through life without acknowledging that I have a Father who loves me, who knows what I need, and who is able to provide. Again, we go back uh, to uh, this question in verse number 11. If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, would he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he for a fish give him a serpent? Or if he shall ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If ye then, being evil, he introduces these ridiculous ideas, right? That we would purposely, intentionally deceive or in some way mistreat our children. And we know that there are cases of that, and they're very difficult to understand and very unfortunate. We understand that. But he said, if you as a sinner have natural love for your children and, and natural care for them, how much more? I think if you're taking notes, those two words are worthy of, of signification. Much more. Much more. God will give you much more than you can imagine, much more than you ask for. God is able to give you much more, and God desires to give you much more than you can ask. He is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we may ask or think. Much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him. So pray, number one, because God is your heavenly Father. Pray, number two, for the exaltation of his name. He said, when you pray, say, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. The word hallowed means sanctified, set apart. It speaks of the holiness of God. And the expression here is that the name of God would be magnified above all names. The name of God, the name of our Father, would be magnified above all names. Our, our interest in this world ought to be that God's name would be magnified. We live in a society that drags God's name down into the gutter, right? They use it as a byword. They take God's name in vain as a curse word. The Bible tells us that God will not hold those guiltless who take his name in vain. It's a serious thing to take God's name in vain. And as believers, we bear his name. 
So the way that we live our lives is a reflection of the nature and character of God. Hebrews named their children uh, by character traits or with the desire that they become uh, certain uh, qualities of people. You remember what Esau said when, when Jacob uh, got his birthright and then robbed him of the blessing. He said, is he not rightly named Jacob? What did Jacob mean? It meant supplanter and schemer. His name revealed his character. We bear the name of our God, our Heavenly Father, and we should magnify His name. We should exalt His name, and we should live a life that is pleasing to His name. So we should pray for the exaltation of His name, that the name of our Savior would be magnified. Number three, we are to pray for the establishment of His kingdom. The establishment of His kingdom. Thy kingdom come. That's the next line. You see, the Lord Jesus Christ is a king. He has a kingdom. And Satan has a kingdom. He is the prince of this world. Sinful men are subjects of Satan. Originally, as God created them, and intended for them to be the subjects of the Lord Jesus. But they rebelled against God. And in their rebellion, they are resisting the work of the kingdom. The Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came and defeated the devil. He overcame his temptations. He went to the cross, the sinless Son of God. He died on the cross, suffered our penalty. He was buried in the tomb and he rose again, victorious over death and hell in the grave. He's a conqueror. He's a mighty king. And there is a kingdom that he has in place. And we are to pray for that kingdom. In particular, as the church advances the kingdom of God, we're to pray for the advancement of the gospel and the salvation of the lost. We are, as a church, involved in kingdom work. We have a beachhead, we have a station, we have a fort, you might say. A command post in Hickory, North Carolina. And from this command post, we go out into the world and preach the gospel to every creature. We are the king's servants, and our interest should be in the kingdom. So we should pray for the establishment of his kingdom. Then he goes on to say there in verse 2, Thy will be done as in heaven, so in earth. Fourthly, we should pray for the fulfillment of his will. We should pray for God's will to be accomplished. And how should it be accomplished? As in heaven, so in earth. When God commands the angels of heaven and he tells them what he wants them to do, how do we imagine it gets done? Hesitantly? Begrudgingly? Well, can you imagine one of the angels saying, Lord, I'm busy today? 
I mean, I know that's what you want done, but you have to understand I've got a pretty busy schedule today. And I want to get around to that, God. I, I really do. But I just don't have time to get that done today. Do you imagine that scene unfolds in heaven? I'm having trouble with this little gizmo they gave me. No, that, that doesn't happen in heaven. What happens in heaven? God gives them commandments and the angels delight in carrying them out. So if we're going to pray for God's will to be done, what does that mean about us in response, our personal response to God's will? That means that we have to submit to it. That we must be in submission to God's will. Lord, what is it that you want done? There has to be an acknowledgement that God's will is what we should be doing. How many days do we live? How much time do we spend? How many plans do we make without any regard for what the Lord wants done? What was James' warning to those businessmen, you know? They said, go to. We're going to go and we got business deals to take care of. We, we got things to get done and we're going to do this and we're going to go to such and such a place and this is... This is how it's going to be done. We got a five-year plan. We got a 10-year plan. God said, wait a minute. You ought to say, if the Lord will. If the Lord will. I remember growing up hearing people say that often. Don't hear that as much today, do we? We talk about our plans and we, even in ministry, what we want to do. It's not about what we want to do. It's about what he wants done. And he's the only one who really knows what's best to do. There are certain elements of his will that are revealed. And when we come to the revealed will of God, we know we ought to do the revealed will of God. The clear commands of Scripture shouldn't even be questioned among us. Do those things. But yet there are many people who want to reason with God and say, well, you know, that might apply to somebody. It doesn't apply to me. Friend, your problem is you have not submitted to the will of God. And as you pray, as you begin to pray for God's will to be done, let me tell you what will happen. The Spirit of God will deal with you about your resistance to the will of God. There will come a point where you and I have to say, wait a minute, I'm not doing the will of God. I have to submit to the will of God. I need to acknowledge it i need to submit to it and i need to pray for that part that is not revealed that god will make it clear but why should he make clear to us that which is not revealed if we're not willing to do that which is so clearly revealed so we should pray for the fulfillment of his will oftentimes we pray for outcomes don't we those outcomes are, in our mind, the best-case scenario. But we should learn to pray and trust God and know that His will is best. Number five, he said in verse three, give us day by day our daily bread. Three times he uses this word, 
day. Give us day by day our daily bread. What is God teaching us? He's teaching us to depend on him. So number five, pray to receive the provision of our daily needs. Pray to receive the provision of our daily needs. This is a humble acknowledgement that we depend on God. The great sin of prayerlessness is pride. Because in our pride, we often think, even if we don't say it, even if we don't consciously choose to think it, our prayerlessness expresses our lack of need, our lack of dependence upon God. If you got up in the morning and you opened the cupboard and you realized there was nothing there to eat, if you said, I'm going to run to the store, and you got to the grocery store and you picked out the items and you went to pay for them and uh, you scanned your card or you felt in your wallet and there was no funds, then you would have to acknowledge that you need God to meet the need, right? But because there are funds, because there are things in the pantry, uh, we have become complacent. We have, we have become unknowingly, perhaps, independent, even proud, as to say, we, we're doing okay. We know what we need. But we must trust God for daily needs, daily provisions. And the Lord Jesus is reminding us this as he teaches us to pray. That we must look to him for daily provision. We don't have the strength to get out of the bed unless God gives it to us. Do you realize that? Some have discovered that more so than others. Pray and receive the provision for our daily needs. This teaches us to commune with God and look to Him on a daily basis. And then he says in verse 4, And forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. Number 6, pray to receive the forgiveness of sin. Pray to receive the forgiveness of sin. We know that we do sin, even as believers, we sin. And when we sin, thanks be unto God, we have an advocate with the Father. Now our adversary, the devil, he's the accuser of the brethren. He comes with all sorts of guilt and all sorts of condemnation and points out to us our sin. But Jesus Christ is our advocate. He made the payment for our sin. His blood was shed for us. And when we believe him and receive him by faith, his righteous record is imputed to our account. So the sin that you and I commit as believers does not separate us from God in our relationship to him as father and his son. But what it does is it hinders our relationship. It hinders our fellowship. It grieves the Spirit and quenches the Holy Spirit of God. And so 
things can't be right in us when we've done wrong. But I'm glad to know that when I've done wrong, it can be made right. Maybe you're here this evening and it's not right. We used to hear the expression, get right with God. Well, how do you get right with God? You confess your sin. You confess it to Him. And if we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So we can pray to receive the forgiveness of sin. And as we pray to receive the forgiveness of sin, God may deal with us concerning the fact that we may harbor some unforgiveness, some resentment, some bitterness towards someone who has offended us or has sinned against us. Does anybody in this room have that problem? Well, not in this room. No. It may shock you to know that there are other people who have a hard time getting over stuff. Where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. Where your sin abounded, God's grace abounded more. Where you offended God, God was willing to forgive you and to cleanse you, to make it right. And he doesn't hold it against you, does he? And he doesn't remind you of it, does he? No, he's forgotten all about it. And so though you may have wronged him today, if you confessed it, you can be right with him now. And therefore, the people who have wronged him but are now right with him ought to learn to get right with one another. All the resentment, all the anger, all the hurt, all the offense. You've heard me say this often. No one will ever offend you to the degree that your sin has offended a holy God. And yet he has forgiven you. And therefore he says to us, as recipients of his forgiveness, we ought to extend forgiveness to everyone who's indebted to us. Not hold it over their heads. Not look at them with disdain. Not give them the cold shoulder. Forgive them. Number seven, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We live in a wicked world, don't we? We have an inner desire to get in the dirt. It manifests itself in each of us a little bit differently. There are things that we all struggle with. There are things that some of us struggle with more and others struggle with less. And we have a certain way of classifying all of that and deciding which are the worst and which are the, you know, the more acceptable. None of it's acceptable to God. And we think, well, as long as I'm not into that, I'm okay. I'm okay. Those sins of the Spirit are defiling sins. You know, the sin of self-righteousness and Phariseeism, 
the the, the sin of 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 being judgmental and harsh and unkind and unloving. You can be gun barrel straight with your doctrine and be as cold and indifferent as you can be. You know that? And churches like ours are filled with people like that. And if we're not careful, we'll become like that. That's a temptation. That's a temptation that we could fall into. It's one that we really don't expect to fall into. We're so busy trying to avoid all these other temptations, we don't even realize we've come into this one. Because it's subtle. It's subtle. And before long, our heart is cold and indifferent, and we've, gro we've grown astray from the Lord. Lead us not into temptation. We're depending on God for divine guidance. But deliver us from evil. The devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about. And what is he doing? He's seeking whom he may devour. He's doing it on a constant basis. Don't you think he would like to devour some lambs out of this flock? Oh, he would. He would. And he's out there. He's out there. He's around your house, your house. He visits. He gets in from time to time. He gets in here from time to time. And he seeks to devour. And we're helpless against him. Were it not for Jesus. No man is a match for him. Only through the power of the Holy Ghost can we resist the devil. And we have a wonderful promise that if we do, he will flee from us. But the temptation abounds. The temptation to the things of the flesh, it abounds. Joseph was faced with it. Moses was faced with it. We're faced with it. And we must pray, God, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We need to pray that the Spirit of God would protect us and protect our children from evil. So the Lord says, I can teach you to pray. And let me tell you why you need to pray. Not just simply that you should and give us a guilt trip for the reasons that we don't, but let me tell you why you should and how you'll benefit. That normally works and serves as a better motivation, doesn't it? We should pray, number one, because he is our heavenly father. We have a relationship with him. He loves us. As our father in heaven, he rules. And he has resources unlimited to meet our needs. We can trust his decision. We need our father to help us. We can pray for the exaltation of his name. His name is a name above all names. It's a name that shouldn't be taken in vain. It should be used as a byword or a slang expression. We should pray for the establishment of his kingdom and surrender ourselves to be his servants in it. Acknowledging that we're in a great conflict, a spiritual battle, and we're soldiers at his disposal, that we should pray for the fulfillment of his will, not simply our will, but looking to him for his will. We should be obedient to the revealed will of God. 
we should submit to it. And we should pray that he would give us that which is not revealed in particular for us. We should pray to receive the provision of our daily needs. Not just going about our business thinking, hey, we got all this under control. There are people who just live in constant fear that the economy is going to crash. Right? It may. But God won't crash. God won't crash. His pantry's not empty. We can trust him, right? So don't be, get too confident in the economy. You say, well, there's not a lot to be confident about right now. Well, that's true. Well, then don't get too hung up on it. Because you're not looking to Washington or Raleigh to secure your economic needs. You're looking to God. Pray and receive the forgiveness of sin. Oh, how we need it. I'm so glad he's glad to grant it. But let's not forget that we need to be forgiving of others. And pray to receive divine guidance and protection from evil. Thank you for listening. We pray that God has used his word to speak to you today. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit us online at tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. There, you'll find additional information about our church, opportunities to partner with us financially, as well as other resources that we hope can be a help to you. May God bless you, and thank you once again for listening.